Disclaimer, the views and opinions and content expressed on this podcast is informational only, not a substitute for seeking a medical professional for your medical care and treatment. Well, hello everyone and welcome back. This is Shafan Holiday, the host for Help Me Holiday podcast. And today I am covering stroke, the topic on stroke. Once again, I have started my new podcast series on um, anything involving the brain, issues with the brain, medical conditions, um, common symptoms that we see happening with the brain. So stroke is one of the most common conditions that we see in the medical emergency room uh, throughout and also in primary care. People who have had strokes, they're following up with their providers in the clinics and uh, this is something that's very, uh, a condition that's very, very prevalent um, across the, just across the uh, medical scene. So uh, stroke, it is basically a term that's used when, that we describe when we see part of the brain that's died because it goes without blood for too long. There are two main types of stroke. There's ischemic strokes, which cause, which is caused by a blockage in the blood vessel in the brain. And there's hemorrhagic stroke. This is caused uh, by bleeding in the brain or the surrounding area. And just a uh, background of what, how often, how prevalent strokes are. In the United States, approximately 750,000 strokes happen each year, most of which are caused by a blockage in the blood vessel. Strokes can cause long-lasting disability or even death. However, with early treatment and preventative measures, it can reduce the brain damage that occurs. So the symptoms of a stroke usually begin suddenly but sometimes develop over hours or days, depending upon the type of stroke. In both the ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke, one or more areas of the brain can be damaged. And depending upon the area affected, a person may lose the ability to move one side of the body. They may be able, they may be lose their ability to speak or a number of other functions. So the damage from a stroke may be temporary or permanent. A person's long-term outcome depends upon how much of the brain is damaged and how quickly treatment begins and several other factors. So uh, briefly, I'm going to talk about, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to cover the types of strokes. Like I told you before, the main type, two types that we see once patients come in through the emergency room and we actually do the imaging studies to diagnose it uh, we know what we're dealing with so there's ischemic strokes and there's hemorrhagic strokes uh, is ischemic stroke this is caused by a blockage or a clot in one of the blood vessels that supply oxygen and other important nutrients to the brain so if this artery remains blocked for more than a few minutes and not enough blood can get through it the brain can become damaged so the majority of the strokes that we see in um, the hospital setting are ischemic. 
Um, and with the ischemic, there's two type subtypes of uh, this stroke called thrombotic or embolic. With thrombolic strokes, they result from a problem within the artery, the blood vessel that supplies blood to the brain. This is the most likely to occur in arteries that are clogged with fat deposits called plaque. We talked about plaque in our cardiovascular series when we were talking about atherosclerosis. So fat deposits, whether they're in the brain, whether they're in the heart vessels, are very serious. So in stroke, we see these fat deposits causing these plaques causing the uh, condition to happen. Uh, the plaque partially blocks the artery and can rupture and bleed, forming a blood clot. This blood clot is a thrombus and can further clog or completely block the artery, which then slows or prevents blood flow to the area of the brain, of the brain fed by that artery. Blood clotting disorders can also cause clots, clots to form within the arteries in some people. With the embolic stroke, with the embolic strokes, they occur when a blood clot or other particles break loose from another part of the block from another part of the body, often the heart or a large artery in the neck, and travels through the bloodstream to the brain where it lodges in the smaller blood vessel. This blood clot or the particle, the, the particle called the embolus, it blocks blood flow to that area of the brain, reducing the amount of oxygen and nutrients that reach that area. And one of the most common causes of embolic strokes is an, an irregular heart rate called atrial fibrillation. So if anyone has been following this podcast, we've gone over uh, these particular types of uh, conditions called atrial fibrillation, which I, I described as a heart that's beating really, really fast, erratic, and it will de develop blood clots in your body unless you are on blood thinners. So as a result of this condition with the embolic strokes, with embolic strokes, this atrial fibrillation can cause this type of stroke to happen by dislodging a clot from the heart area, one of the heart vessels. And this particular blood clot travels up into the brain and clog part of the vessels that's supplying the brain with oxygen and blood flow. So um, with the thrombotic, the thrombotic strokes, they're happening pretty much within the blood vessel that's in the brain, but with the embolic stroke, these are um, particles or blood clots that's traveling from the heart or the neck vessels and causing the problem with the blood clot in the brain. So that's the difference, all right? Then there's a condition called transient ischemic attack, which are episodes in which a person has signs of, or symptoms of a stroke, which is the weakness and ability to speak that lasts for a short time, but without any sign of stroke on the brain scans, such as MRIs or, uh, or the CAT scan. Symptoms of TIAs usually last between a few minutes and a few hours, but that person on, the, on these CAT scans, we don't see any damage to the brain. They completely recover from these symptoms of TIAs 
but these people are, are at high risk for a stroke. I'm not covering TIAs in this particular lecture. I will be covering TIAs in my next uh, segment by itself. But let's uh, just uh, continue with the topics of stroke. Um, with hem hemorrhagic stroke, there, these strokes occur when blood vessels in the brain leak or rupture, um, causing bleeding in or around the brain. The term hemorrhage is medical for it's a medical term for bleeding, somebody that's bleeding a lot. This can lead to pressure within the head, which can cause damage to the brain. Also, blood is irritating to the brain tissues and it can cause it to swell. So, what happens with hemorrhagic stroke? Well, there's also two subtypes of that as well. There's intracerebral and subarachnoid. With the intracerebral bleeding or hemorrhage, uh, there, that, that occurs within the brain. Uh, this, this causes damage to the brain as blood collects and puts pressure on the surrounding tissue. Uh, we see patients having high blood pressure as a result. There may be bleeding disorders there may be deformities in the blood vessels, such as an aneurysm, which is a weakening in the lining of the blood vessel. And also with the intra, intracerebral hemorrhage, it can also cause injury to the brain. So these are very um, serious strokes where they need to be, in, there needs to be intervention immediately. With subarachnoid hemorrhage, uh, this causes, uh, this occurs when a blood vessel on the surface of the brain ruptures. So the blood builds up and causes pressure in the subarachnoid space, which is a space between two layers of tissue covering the brain. The most common early symptom of a subarachnoid hemorrhage is a severe headache called the thunderclap. So if you tuned into the podcast before this one, <laughs> which covered headaches, you know that I said thunderclap headaches happen, it comes on suddenly without any warning. And it's the worst headache that's been described in life. This is when you come to the emergency room immediately. You're rushed to the hospital because of the severity of that headache. And that thunderclap is... Um, most times, once we do a CAT scan or MRI, we will diagnose you with a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which is, which is the cause behind what's happening with your headache. This is a buildup of pressure from blood that has a, a blood vessel that has ruptured. So this is life-threatening and is one of the most urgent and serious uh, emergencies there are. Uh, when it comes to bleeding in the brain. Um, okay, um, and just uh, to add one thing, I, I have a coworker who actually had this thunderclap uh, headache at work, and thank God she was at work because if it was not for her having the availability of the ER right there and the staff and the everything being done within seconds, uh, she might have had a different outcome, but she had a 100% recovery of her 
everything that happened and she did have this uh, subarachnoid bleed and it was discovered they took her to surgery immediately and she like I said recovered a hundred percent so that's the seriousness of that condition okay so let's talk about some of the risk factors with strokes so with the stroke um, there's fact risk factors that will increase one's uh, uh, one's chance of having um, this condition happen to them so what are they ages older than 40 years old so people older than 40 are, are at risk people with heart disease like I told you before with the atrial fibrillation as a uh, condition of uh, irregular heart rhythms and rates you can have high blood pressure smokers are at risk people with diabetes high blood cholesterol levels people using illegal drugs recent childbirth uh, a previous history of transient ischemic attack which we'll cover in the next lecture people with sedentary lifestyles lack of activity inactive lifestyles people who are, are obese people with current or past histories of blood clots and family histories of cardiac disease or stroke people that's at high risk for hemorrhagic strokes include people with high blood pressure smokers People doing illegal drugs like cocaine, crystal meth, and people that's on blood thinners like acumadin, warfarin. Risk factors can increase the risk of stroke, but strokes can happen in people who don't even have these risk factors. In some cases, the stroke may be due to problems with blood vessels in the brain or the, the blood itself. For example, um, a person with a hemorrhagic stroke can, uh, can have a, a brain aneurysm and this is a weakness in the blood vessel wall uh, even if this has never caused symptoms in the past it can put you at risk also with ischemic strokes you may see healthy people who take certain medications for example um, estrogen replacement therapy people you know women that's uh, postmenopausal could be on these medications and can put them at risk for increased risk of blood clots so um, just because you may not be in one of those uh, high risk factors does not exclude you from having a stroke all right so let's go over the symptoms for stroke okay some signs and symptoms of stroke so basically with strokes they often develop suddenly and they may be temporary they may temporarily improve on their own or they slowly worsen depending on the type of stroke and the area of the brain that's affected so what's the classic symptoms in the hospital we are taught and we have to have all of these continuing education uh, series done every year but one of the main things that we have to constantly be testing on and reminded of are the, uh, the, the, the symptoms and the signs for a stroke. And there's a acronym that's used called BFAST. BFAST, every employee has to know that acronym because we, no matter what you're doing in the hospital, whether you're cleaning floors, whether you're a painter, whether you're a healthcare provider, you, we are all taught this acronym so that we could be on the lookout just in case 
if somebody, a visitor, was at the hospital and had one of these symptoms, immediately we already know, be fast, that that person is having a stroke. So what does this acronym mean? Okay, B is for balance. I'm just going to tell you what the uh, acronym means. B is for balance. When we see anyone who has a loss of balance suddenly, we're thinking of a stroke. E is for eye vision. Uh, are you having double vision? Are you having now problems with your vision? These are things that happen just suddenly. Fast. What does fast mean? F is for face. Face, we're looking for sudden weakness or droopiness of the face or problems with your vision. A is for arm. Arm, there's sudden weakness or numbness of one or both of your arms. All of a sudden, this person is saying, hey, I can't use this arm. I, for whatever reason, my hand feels paralyzed. I can't move it. Immediately, we're thinking stroke, speech. He's having difficulty speaking, slurred speech, garbled speech. The person isn't making sense now. Like, what's going on? Like, all of a sudden, his speech changed. Time. Time is very important. Time is of the essence. There's a song about that. Time is of the essence. So with stroke, that the sooner that treatment begins, the better chances for recovery. So call 911 immediately if you're not in the hospital setting. Um, what will happen when you get to the hospital? So outside of us asking a a whole bunch of history taking, when did this start? We immediately have the patient taken for, at our hospital, um, the hospital that I'm at is a stroke center, it's, you know, and what we do is take the patient immediately for imaging studies of the brain. So that's a CAT scan or MRI. So with that imaging test, it looks at the blood vessels in the neck and the head. Um, and we are looking to see um, the brain and the supply of blood that's going, that's being delivered throughout. So with these tests, you're definitely being followed by a neurosurgeon, the, neuro, uh, the stroke team, a, a neuro, neurologist, because these are the people who are basically going to take care of a patient that's experiencing a stroke. So um, with the uh, these imaging studies, they, they there's ways that they have to actually uh, put IV catheters in and they basically threaten uh, a catheter in through a blood vessel in the growing and they thread it up into the blood vessels of the neck where dye is injected to highlight any areas of blockage. But these are the very, um, um, these are imaging studies that's done specifically looking at patients that's uh, possibly having a stroke. So these are CT angiographies or MRI angiographies. All right, so there's also other tests that we do. We do EKGs. Um, because we want to make sure if what you know if that person is having an underlying heart condition, like I told you before, with uh, atrial fibrillation, the EKGs can show that to us. Many people who have an ischemic strokes also have coronary artery disease, where there's a lack of blood flow um, in the heart during the stroke. 
So we do these EKGs uh, for baseline purposes and to see if you have any underlying um, heart arrhythmias. Um, after the ischemic stroke, the goal of treatment is to restore blood flow to the affected area of the brain as quickly as possible. Um, within the first hour after the onset of the stroke symptoms. So early treatment for ischemic strokes are the, uh, you know, this is the, uh, basically the, the, the treatment that's given, uh, that's used immediately. Uh, there's a treatment called thrombolytic therapy uh, this is basically a medication. It, it involves giving a medication called Alteplase, also known as TPA. For t and that TPA means tissue plas plasminogen activator. Or a similar medication called Tenoteplase, and they give this through the veins. All of this works by breaking up the clot that is blocking blood flow to the brain. So TPA is typically given uh, within that first uh, few minutes of a person having a stroke. There's also um, a, um, a therapy called mechanical thrombectomies, and this is a pre procedure that involves a specialist placing a catheter in the blocked artery and removing the clot. This is done using a stent retriever device or suction to reopen the blocked artery. Once again, this is done by a uh, specialist uh, that works with the uh, stroke team. Both thrombolic therapy and mechanical thrombectomies requ require care in a hospital setting that has expertise in these areas. That's why you, anybody's having a stroke, they go to stroke designated centers at hospitals because they can do these uh, procedures in a rapid, uh, very, very fast. They consult with neurologists physicians who specialize in the brain. Uh, there's intensive care services where these patients are placed in the neuro, uh, neurovascular intensive care unit and, you know, they have brain and vascular imaging with CT scans and MRI scans. All of this is done at these particular hospitals where they're deemed stroke centers. Uh, with the thrombolytic therapy also, um, uh, the TPA um, is basically in injected into the veins, and these medications work to dissolve clots that are blocking blood flow and arteries to the brain. The benefit of the uh, thrombolic therapy is that it slows down or decreases uh, the clot formation over several hours. For this reason, the earlier the treatment is given after the stroke begins, the more likely it is to be successful. That's why it's given so quickly. Uh, one of the risks of thrombolytic therapy is um, bleeding in the brain, ex excess bleeding in the brain. So it's, you always have to, these, these uh, specialists always outweigh the benefit versus the risk. With mechanical thrombec uh, thrombectomy, uh, this is a procedure that can help if the person has a blood clot blocking one of the large arteries in the vein. It involves inserting a catheter with a device that can remove the clot into the artery. This treatment can reduce long-term disability caused by the stroke. So 
these uh, procedures are done within the first six hours from the start of a person's stroke and can be beneficial up to 24 hours from the start of the symptoms. Uh, that's why early treatment is imperative. All right. Um, other medication, well, other therapies that that's given during strokes, um, the onset of it, for early treatment of ischemic strokes, we also give antiplatelets and anticoagulants. What are antiplatelets? Um, basically, um, blood uh, medications that help uh, break down clots, blood clots. So antiplatelet therapy is often used immediately for ischemic strokes if thrombolytic therapy cannot be given. Aspirin is the best known antiplatelet medication. So is uh, um, Plavix and uh, some other antiplatelets that's out there on the market. Uh, these platelets are, well, what is a platelet? It's a tiny cell fragment. It's a tiny cell fragment that circulates in the blood that normally clumps together to stop bleeding. So this clumping leads to the formation of a blood clot. And when a person has a stroke, the platelets clump together and form clots inside of narrowed arteries, blocking blood flow to the brain. So the way the antiplatelets work is that they help prevent new clots from developing. And it's beneficial for the treatment of acute ischemic stroke. Um, that's how the antiplatelets work, okay? Uh, anticoagulants or anticlotting medications are often referred to as blood thinners. However, they don't actually cause the blood to become thinner, only less likely to clot. So there's medications called heparin and low molecular weight heparin, which is called Lovenox, and we give these by injections through the vein. Uh, there's a tablet called Coumadin or Warfarin. It's an older anticoagulant that is taken by mouth. But the newer anticoagulants taken by mouth are Prodexa, Apixaban, which is Eliquis, um, and uh, some other Xeralto. Those are to name a few of the oral um, anticoagulants that's on the medica on the uh, um, that we use orally to take versus the heparin or the Lovenox injections. But these, these medications are on the market and they're highly used because they're, like I said before, they're the newer, the newer anticoagulants and they don't need to be monitored. You know, the, your uh, bleeding times don't have to be monitored uh, and followed in a, uh, at a PTINR clinic like we have to do with Coumadin. Coumadin is one of the older anticoagulants that's out there, and when patients are on that medication, we are able to see how uh, fast the blood is clotting by having them go to a clinic and having that uh, the PTINR levels measured, and it's telling us how fast their blood will clot. However, with the newer DOAGs, they don't have to do that, and the do DOAG is just basically a drug that's used for anticoagulants, the newer ones, like I mentioned earlier. People opt to use those newer ones because they don't have to be checked. Their bleeding times don't have to be checked. 
but because of risk of excessive bleeding, anticoagulation is seldom given for the treatment of a acute ischemic stroke. However, full dose anticoagulant therapy with heparin, a low molecular weight dose, is used by some cl clinicians for certain types of stroke. All right. So, um, in a nutshell, that's how those are the treatments used, and um, this is what is uh, given to the patients. Once again, all of these things, all of these medications, the treatments, the therapies are all weighed heavily based on uh, benefit versus risk to the patient. Uh, and most times once a patient has had a stroke, you will definitely be following a neurologist um, who will guide what medications you take and how long you need to take them. Um, long-term prevention of strokes. Let's talk about that. What can we do long-term? Treatment is basically aimed at reducing the chances that a person will have another stroke. So there, uh, the theory is to do secondary prevention. What does that mean? We give medications for secondary prevention, right? These medications are the antiplatelet medications, the anticoagulants, and sometimes a surgery may have to be done to reopen blockages in the blood vessels. This is called revascularization. Medication-wise, though, uh, we use uh, to help reduce the risk of having another stroke like I said before, they include medications to control your high blood pressure. We'll give medication to lower your cholesterol. These are the statin medications, Crestor, um, um, those type of medications, Lipitor. Uh, we also give medications to pre prevent new blood clots from forming. Different people may need different combinations of the medications, but this depends on your provider and your, your medical history. With the blood pressure medication, with high blood pressure, hypertension, it increases a person's risk of stroke. So we, you know, make sure that we, the patients who have high blood pressure, they understand that you are at such a higher risk because if you've had a stroke already because of your blood pressure, you are at a 100% risk of having another one. So having your blood pressure control is paramount. Taking your blood pressure medications is paramount. And we try to stress this to our patients who are hypertension, who have high blood pressure, and that need to be on medication. And they need to be monitored to make sure that blood pressure is controlled. With the cholesterol-lowering medications, we know that this also helps to uh, the person's uh, risk for stroke. So we often put medication, uh, patients on high cholesterol medications on people who've usually had a stroke already, um, in addition to what they're taking already, blood pressure medications as in, 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 and also the blood thinner medications. So these, uh, this medication helps uh, also, it may help promote healing and stabilization of the plaques that tend to, to develop on the surface of the blood vessels that supply the brain and the heart. Um, 
that's one of the theories where why we use cholesterol lowering medication with the antiplatelet therapies uh, these medications include aspirin plavix combination of aspirin plus extended release medications like the cholesterol medicines all of those we use in combination for people who may be high risk for stroke aspirin um, we use that relatively at low doses and it's effective for preventing ischemic stroke um, it is used as a first-line treatment for non-cardiac uh, embolic strokes meaning a stroke in which the blood clot did not originate from the heart so we will you will see people on aspirin when we know that that blood clot did not originate from the heart aspirin may also uh, be uh, used for a longer period of time um, over maybe some of the anti-platelet medicines that, that we have, that we give. We'll use, uh, because of the cost is cheap and also sometimes people can't tolerate some of the um, cholesterol medications um, that may be out there or even the anticoagulant medications like the Plavix. Um, what else we like we also use medications um, once again for long-term use plavix which is an antiplatelet medication um, and it can be used uh, to help reduce the person's risk of having another stroke we once again we use that in combination with aspirin we like to use as well um, I talked about anticoagulants. Um, they're used to prevent stroke in people with certain medical conditions, uh, and uh, especially for people that got atrial fibrillation. We definitely have to have no more medications like uh, Coumadin, medications like Plavix, because this is, in essence, um, one of the ways to make sure that they're not going to be at high risk for having another stroke. We also uh, talk about lifestyle changes. If you're somebody who still smokes and you've had a stroke, <laughs> your, your, your chances of having another one are high. So we talk about finding ways to help, uh, help you to quit smoking. Uh, we ask you to avoid and cut back on alcohol use exercise, eating a healthy diet, a healthy balanced diet. All of these are methods that we um, do education, patient education on when it comes to uh, your lifestyle changes. Uh, pretty much that is in a nutshell how we treat um, embolic strokes. Hemorrhagic strokes are treated, we, we're doing the same lifestyle changes, we're doing the same type of um, pretty much medication therapies. However, with hemorrhagic strokes, if a person is actually bleeding in or around the brain, once the CAT scans are done, the MRIs are done, uh, we have, uh, they're taken to surgery where part or a piece of the skull have to be um, removed to relieve the pressure on the brain and prevent more to prevent more damage from the brain, causing damage to the brain. 
uh, also is necessary to remove that collection of blood if it's pressing down on the brain or causing the brain to swell. And the, uh, the overall treatment is to stop the bleeding in the brain and fix the blood vessel that was bleeding. So um, with hemorrhagic strokes, these are very, um, very, very uh, life-altering, uh, you know, a condition because it could lead to death. So you want to, to make sure that you're not at risk for having another hemorrhagic stroke. Once again, making sure you don't have high blood pressure, checking to make sure your blood pressure is being controlled. If you're on, if you've been diagnosed with hypertension, you're taking your blood pressure medicine as uh, ordered. You're keeping an eye on that blood pressure. You're making uh, lifestyle changes involving your diet, uh, medications, if you're doing drugs, if you're smoking, all of that have to be taken into consideration. So, to wrap this up, stroke treatment depends upon the type of strokes that you've had, um, how much time has passed since it first occurred, and the medical, your underlying medical conditions. Um, if you have to have surgery, this is done by a specialist and it involves uh, revascularization. I'm not gonna get into that because it's very detailed, but just know that these it's a type of procedure that's done for reestablishing blood flow to an area of the brain that has lost blood flow. And there's also other types of um, uh, procedures and surgeries done, even carot carotid endorectomies that's done on the neck. But these are by if you've had if you had any of these uh, type of strokes that involve these procedures, that that surgeon that specialist will talk to you in depth about how the procedure goes and what to be expected. Um, and lastly, just uh, with complications that I did not talk about that we see people having strokes that they will deal with after having a stroke if it went if the stroke progressed longer at a longer duration of time and there was no intervention done immediately what we do have and what we do see with people who've had strokes um, sometimes they've had difficulty eating difficulty drinking they've had uh, problems with their speech walking talking memory they become uh, depressed they uh, uh, oftentimes will have paralysis or on one side of the body or you know it may be temporary or it may be long a long-term effect where they can't move one side of the body they can have um if, if the stroke was severe and it caused paralysis of the whole body where they can't move anymore, they're at risk for pressure, so pressure ulcers or sores on the butt or the skin. These are long-term effects that can happen when you have patients who um, had strokes that were not, um, unfortunately, weren't uh, able to 
be addressed or treated in a timely fashion. So to wrap up this uh, lecture or this uh, podcast series, if you are someone who has a lot of underlying problems that put you at risk for stroke, please make sure you're doing what you need to do to counter you being at risk. And like I said before, at the start of this podcast, there are people who don't fit into any of those high-risk categories and they still have a stroke for whatever reason. But just know if you are having no symptoms, be fast, be fast. If you don't remember anything else from this uh, this podcast, remember the acronym Be Fast. If you see your balance being affected, your eyes having problems, all of this stuff starts suddenly. You have facial, uh, your face is distorted in some type of way, your speech, your vision, your balance immediately come to the ER because you are probably having a stroke. That will uh, end it for this, this series, this podcast lecture. I hope you all learn something from this and uh, you will take this and use this so that it can be, um, it can be helpful to your situation or to someone that uh, you may love or know or uh, you may see on the side of the street exhibiting this so that you can help them get the treatment as quickly as possible. So thank you for joining in again, and I appreciate you tuning into my podcast. If you have any questions, you can reach me on social media, or please reach out to your own provider. And thank you again. God bless. If you enjoyed this content, be sure to like, share, and subscribe to Help Me Holiday on our social media platforms, or email me with questions at helpmeholiday at gmail.com.